our public scripture reading, which is Psalms 42 and 43. These two psalms are expressing the same theme and are thus understood not as independent but two parts of the whole. Together they express the lament of a temple singer exiled in the north near the rising of the Jordan who longs to be back at God's house and turns his longing into resolute faith and hope in God himself. In summary, Psalms 42 and 43 show us the believer's seesaw battle between despair and hope. Verses 1 and 2 open these psalms with what we could say is the believer's appetite for God. And here we see three things in particular. First of all, his thirst for God involves pain. His thirst for God involves pain. He is thirsting for that which he doesn't yet have. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? His thirst for God is therefore revealing a deficiency. It is revealing even sadness because he speaks of his soul being cast down and even speaks that to himself. It's interesting what we find in these two psalms. We find a believer talking to himself, which means that talking to yourself is a very biblical thing. (laughs) You're really not crazy when you do that. Just depends if you answer yourself. So what we see then is that here is a believer who's not on the spiritual mountaintop, but he is in a very deep, a very dark valley. And so his thirsting for God is most painful. Second of all, his thirst for God points to a place for its satisfaction. His thirst for God points to a place for its satisfaction. Again, he says, when shall I come and appear before God? And in fact, we know, if we look on here, in verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So when he says, when shall I come and appear before God, he is bespeaking of going to the house of God, to the place of worship. We would say to public worship, to church. Unlike American evangelicals, with their American individualism, 
The psalmist sees his meeting with God in the gathered assembly of God's people. Let's think about that. While he could meet God in the wilderness where he was, yet, beloved, there is something uniquely special, uniquely redeeming about meeting God with his people. Why do you think the scriptures command us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? Why is that even there? Because when the people of God gather, God meets with them in a way that he will not meet with you in your private little prayer closet. Indeed, I want you to think about this. Because this is what really hit me this morning in a way it never has from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7. Here is the apostle John being given the vision of what it will be like when the end of history comes. The end of time comes and the people of God from every age of human history are gathered together. In verse 9 he says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One of the great events that we as the people of God are looking so forward to as we step into glory at the end of all the ages, when Christ returns, he gathers us together and what's happening here? What's happening here is a public worship service like none of us have ever seen before, have ever experienced before. But when we are gathered in eternity with the Lord, here's the point I want to make, the point I want to drive at. You won't be meeting with God in a private prayer closet. There's nothing individual about this. Nothing individual about this. What we're doing here today, what we're doing right now, is the curtain call to this main event. This is the curtain call to what's coming. And there is no individualism there. It's not about just you and Jesus and your little Bible off on some island somewhere. No, it is not that. When we come together as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ in eternity, friend, that's just it. We're going to be together. We're going to be together. 
Now, I know that may be a frightening thing for some of you that are so introvertish. But the good thing is, is that all of your introvertish temperament is going to be perfected on that day. In other words, you're not going to be the introvert you are now where your ideal of life is on an island by yourself with no people. No, on this day in Revelation 7, 9, we'll be perfected in glory and the great longing and the satisfaction of our hearts and souls will be met not only as we see the Lord, but as we're together with the Lord's people. And so here we see just a mere little snapshot of that kind of longing in the psalmist in Psalm 42 where he is separated from the people of God, separated from the house of God, meeting with the people of God in public worship, and he is not happy about it. He is not satisfied with it. He wants to be in the public worship of God's people, meeting with the Lord. Why? Again, let me repeat myself, because the Lord meets with his people in public worship in a way that he will never meet with you in the private prayer closet. That's the reason why it is so ridiculous, these Christians who say, well, I'll just stay at home and watch a live stream. I got news for you. There's no such thing as virtual church. You're not going to find that in Scripture. No, God means for us to meet together face-to-face. Face-to-face. And any person who professes to be a Christian, but they can be satisfied without this, the Scripture says of that person, you're not even a Christian. You're not even a believer. You see, we know we have passed out of death into life, John tells us, because we have love for the brethren. But don't be talking about your love for the brethren if the love don't show up with the brethren. You got to be here with the people and show the love. But if the love is not there, That's because the Lord is not there in your life. And anyone who takes issue with that, trust me, you're not taking issue with the pastor, you're taking issue with the Lord. Because it's his word, it's what he says. You don't like it, take it up with him. But let me go ahead and tell you now, you'll never win the argument. Because the Lord, what he has said, that's settled. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, he said it, that's it. So we're commanded to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And if you're a true child of God, if you are so separated, you know what your longing is? You know what the true longing of your heart will be, child of God? To be back with the people of God in public worship. And if it's not that, you need to start checking yourself. You need to start checking yourself. Because what's amazing here is how that's connected to the thirst for God the psalmist has. That's that's what is so incredible that I think, sadly, is missed a lot when Psalm 42 and 43 are visited. So there is... A thirst for God 
that points to a place, a place for its satisfaction. But then lastly, his thirst for God is captured in a vivid picture. A very vivid picture. Look at verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. The implication of the deer panting for flowing streams is that this thirst is a never-ceasing affair. The deer is always panting for flowing streams. The deer is never satisfied without water. The true child of God the true believer in Christ because of their new heart and because of the indwelling of the spirit they too they too have this perpetual thirst for the Lord a perpetual thirst when pondering this Early this morning, I was taken back years ago to a friend of mine who I once pastored in a different country called Georgia. And I remember asking him because he and I really had this time together. We were coming back from, from hunting together, and I asked him on the way, and I'm sure he was so sorry for taking me hunting that day. But, um, but I asked him, I said, so how, how is your prayer life going? How is your, how's your walk with the Lord? And he said to me what I was not expecting to hear. He said, well, I haven't prayed in six months. I haven't prayed in six months? And we had two more hours on the trip. I said, well, it just so happens I have a sermon by John MacArthur. Let me put this in. And it just so happens, providentially, that sermon was on apostasy. He was not a happy camper that day. So what? He was showing to me there was no thirst for God. And it was frightening me for him. I was scared for him. A true child of God will have a, a true thirst for God. And if you know of no such thirst, if you can be satisfied going about your business, coasting in this world living in the here and now where there is, there is no seeking God in prayer, there is, no, there, 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 is, there is no seeking God in his word, then it could very well be, indeed I would say more than likely it is, you're not even born again. Is it possible for Christians to drift? Yes. But let me assure you of this. 
you will never drift so far that you do not come back. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You will return if you're one of his. And we say, thank God for that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for greatly arresting our attention in these last few moments from your word, causing us to see things, Lord, that perhaps we've not considered. But Lord, we thank you for how your word does admonish us for our good, convicts us for our good turns our hearts back toward you if they have so strayed. And Lord, we do pray that if any of us here have strayed, if our thirst for you is not at that place where it should be and ought to be, if it is if it is the thirst of a true child of God, Lord, we pray earnestly that you and your mercy and kindness by the work and power of the indwelling spirit would revive and renew and reawaken such a soul thirst for you. We pray, Lord, that we would be caused by your grace working in us to feel the pain that the psalmist felt when he described his thirst for you as a deer panting after the flowing water streams. And further, Lord, we pray that you'll not let us at any time even be tempted with some kind of satisfaction that we could dare find apart from the people of God. For Lord, we know as we read your word, and it is so clear, there is no such thing as a life in Christ lived without the body of Christ. And so, Father, we thank you today for this body of Jesus Christ that you have providentially gathered here in this place. We thank you greatly for, for what a magnanimous time and, and a joy it is for us to come together to worship you. And Lord, we thank you for how you meet with us in a way that is so unique and so special and so redeeming in this time of public worship that we cannot get, we cannot experience anywhere else in this world. For nothing this world offers brings us to you in the way that the public worship of your people does because you meet with your people together in a way that is truly not of this world. And we thank you, Lord God, 
for so meeting with us here. And may our hearts just continue to grow in greater sanctifying love, Lord, for you and for the people of God. That like the psalmist, we will, we will ache to be in public worship with God's people in God's house. We thank you, Lord, for these many graces. We thank you for the illumination of the Spirit by the word that we have heard in these last few moments. For all these things, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen.